1: Michael
2: Reed, Reed on LMFM. Tuesday morning, the 12th of January. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The coronavirus has taken public health officials by surprise. There's been a huge surge in cases in the last 10
3: days. It was only on the 3rd of January that we breached 100,000 cases. We're now. Well over 150,000 cases. As you know, thousands of people are catching COVID every day. We're standing at over 6,000 cases per day on average and a 14-day incidence of almost 1,400 per 100,000. There is a concern about people of all ages, but in particular about older people. The incidence in those aged 65 and older has increased further and that's a cause of really considerable concern. More cases means more people who are very ill. Very high and in rapidly increasing numbers in hospital and intensive care.
2: The numbers they think are stabilising at around 6,000
3: cases a day. That is higher than we were projecting last week in our more optimistic scenarios, lower than in the pessimistic. Uh, but that does mean that the models at the moment are suggesting that we will peak at somewhere between 2,200 and 2,500 people in hospital um, in 10 to 14 days' time, and between 200 and 400 people in ICU. This morning, 1,620 people are in hospital, 143 of them are
2: critical in ICU, and half of those people are on ventilators.
3: Yes, we're at a level of infection in terms of the scale of it, uh, that, like, we didn't predict that we were going to be at... Six and a half, seven thousand 7,000 cases a day reporting at a peak. Our world data says
2: Ireland's seven-day rate of 1,394 cases per one million of the population is the highest rate anywhere in the world.
3: We are the worst in Europe in terms of percentage deterioration and heading for the highest or one of the higher
2: countries in terms of overall incidence. The Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan, who, along with Professor Philip Nolan, was speaking at uh, that HSE briefing last night. Now, let's talk to the Sinn Féin President, Mary Lou MacDonald, who's on uh, the line with us. And a very good morning to you, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, It is a crisis, as uh, Dr Houlihan said, uh, and the reason for that, as uh, Professor Nolan explained, we could be looking at the need for 400 ICU beds. If we get to that stage, will we be able to cope, do you think?
1: Well, good morning, uh, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. And can I just begin by wishing people a happy new year? Although, as as your clip there has demonstrated very amply, we are starting the year in a very, faced with a a really, really difficult crisis. Um, It's no secret, uh, Michael, you ask about hospital capacity. All of us know that for many the long year, our health system and our, our hospital system in particular has really struggled, particularly at this time of year. I mean, trolley counts are a regular, normalised daily feature of Irish uh, life at this stage. So in some respects, the lack of resourcing and investment over many long years uh, is leaving us even more vulnerable in a dangerous scenario like this. There's no doubt that there is concern on the front line. Um, You'll have seen uh, what happened in Letterkenny Hospital uh, about 48 hours ago with um, ambulances lining up and, and real alarm uh, at that hospital and, and real fear for patients and, and indeed for staff. Um, so this is difficult. We are going to need our surge capacity. We're going to need all of it. Um, those uh, experts tell us that we will uh, be in a position to cope, but only just... And very so much of this now is dependent on where this trajectory of growth in terms of uh, infection, sickness and hospitalisation, where it goes next. Uh, you heard Philip Nolan say there that they had modelled out three case scenarios. You know, They had the worst case scenario, they had the best case scenario, and he's saying that the forecast now is that we're falling somewhere in the middle. We have to hope that we move more towards best case scenario than worst. And then, as ever, Michael, we are hugely indebted to and in the hands of the caring professionals on the front line, doctors, nurses, cleaners, porters, uh, carers, um, uh, to assist us to get better and to save lives. Um, And I think, therefore, it is absolutely incumbent on all of us, again, just to remind ourselves of the part that we can play um, and that is very, very important. All of the basic messages still pertain around masks and hand washing and staying apart and although staying in touch with people. Um, and then, of course, the government, the HSE, the state agencies need to bring everything that they've got in, in, a, in a speedy and efficient manner um, to this crisis. And in the longer term, Michael, we need to finally have learned the lesson that uh, shortchanging and failing to invest. And our public health system is not a wise strategy ever. It's it's the worst uh, idea of, of uh, penny wise and pound foolish. We need a functioning, robust public health system. And that's work ahead and a challenge for all of us. In, in
2: political life and in political leadership. It seems uh, as though even in uh, the best-case scenario, we're set to exceed the capacity in uh, the public health service uh, for ICU beds uh, and uh, that we'll need access to private hospital ICU yes. beds. And even at that, uh, we won't have enough ICU beds. That What we will be doing is providing ICU care to people on ordinary wards uh, who will need high-flow oxygen and that sort of thing.
1: That's right, and we will need that capacity. And um, certainly, um, you know, one of one of the, the problems within the Irish healthcare system is that we have a confused and, by the way, quite an expensive public private two tier um, system. And uh, the work in the the years ahead, the months ahead, and years ahead is to change that. We need a single universally accessible, properly resourced public health system. But in the direct here and now, you're absolutely right. We need access to that private capacity. And even at that, our frontline uh, staff, the doctors and nurses uh, will be required to innovate. And they have proven themselves, let it be said, Mm. in Ireland and internationally to be extremely innovative and to be incredibly resourceful. And can I say to hold their poise and their calm... In, in the midst of very very frightening times, where patients are not alone sick, and and uh, but they are also, I, I'm sure, very frightened. I mean, I had the virus myself, as you know, Michael, back in the the first the first wave of this disease, and I, I have I think we've spoken before, and I've I've described to you my own anxiety and fears at that time of, of being sick. But I can only imagine when you're hospitalised, and then. Uh, in ICU or ventilated, that's a very frightening time for any human being and for their wider families. So full credit to the staff and the professionalism and the caring mm. of everybody who runs that system and we are relying on them now hugely. So let's all of us do the piece that we can as individual citizens and not make a bad situation worse. And then mm. for government and for the state and my colleagues, I suppose David Colinan in particular, who's our spokesperson on health, is in daily contact uh, with all of the the, the key stakeholders um, and indeed with the minister. So I want to reassure your, your listeners that we will do everything that we can uh, as leaders of the opposition to constructively engage and to apply pressure where pressure is needed, where things are happening perhaps too slowly or where we feel that there's a shortfall or a deficit.
2: There's no doubt we're very lucky to have uh, the excellence of uh, the healthcare staff and uh, the standard of professionalism uh, that uh, our healthcare workers uh, demonstrate uh, on a daily basis. Consummate professionals, no doubt uh, about that when they're available because that's one of the problems. There's over 3,000 healthcare staff out sick with uh, the coronavirus or out because uh, they've been close contacts with somebody who's had uh, this disease. Uh, We've gone from being the best in Europe to the worst in Europe. Are, Are we reaping what we've so to, uh, is this of our own making, do you think?
1: Well, there's no doubt that an in increased social contact um, has been identified as a factor. I mean, we, we know how this virus works. I mean, it thrives on contact between people. We're, the, if you like, the host for this virus and for it to spread. Um, we, we, The more we're meeting each other, the more we're in contact with each other. It has much more opportunities and it's a very, very... Opportunistic virus, you know, it's deadly. So there, there's no doubt that the increased um, socialising over the course of the, the holiday period contributed to that. I mean, I think we all we all know that. And um, there is also the the issue of these new strains. Now, initially, it was uh, they were accounting for the the British strain was accounting for a very small proportion of uh, the uh, infection, but now it seems to have grown quite significantly so I think that's in, in the mix uh, as well um, but look, uh, we, we really need to understand all of us now the scale of the, the mountain that we have to climb uh, and we can do it, uh, of that there is no doubt but it's not going to be easy and I'm very conscious that there are many listening to, to your programme Michael who mm. haven't seen a day's work since March, there's families who are under the most immense financial pressure there are people who feel isolated, who feel lonely, who may even feel a little bit desperate at this stage. So I, I want to say this, that it, it's my view and my sense that we're we're in the worst of it now. Um, the vaccination programme is a very definite and clear light at the end of the tunnel. We need to move heaven and earth to ensure that we get that right, that not alone do we secure the, the requisite supplies of the vaccines. And I hope the The Oxford um, Mm. vaccine gets clear and soon. But once we have the supplies, and this for us is critical, we have to be sure that we have enough personnel, that we have the right networks, that we have the right plan. To actually, distribute those vaccines and to do it safely, of course. And should and we be to looking to very, d- very quickly?
2: Should we be looking to get access to those supplies if it means denying those supplies to some of the world's poorest? Uh, because there's a, a real concern on a, a global level about how this yeah. vaccine is going to roll out to those who have and not to those who do not have. Uh, and to that the young, fit, and able in this country, for example, a rich European country, will be vaccinated, as will all people. where in some of uh, the third world countries. You'll be looking at old, vulnerable people who are at great risk because of their age or underlying illnesses or or, or both who won't be able to facilitate or to access a a vaccine.
1: Well, one of the the, the great challenges uh, of this time will be to ensure that there is equitable and just distribution of uh, any and all vaccines and that will be a challenge. I mean, we're seeing here... Um when we talk about supply for Ireland, the issue of manufacturing capacity and you know how quickly they can actually turn out uh, volume um, in, in these vaccines is an issue. And certainly there is a danger that um, the poor of the world get get uh, left at the, at the back of the bus. I, I think we have an obligation to make sure that that doesn't happen, and that's for reasons of decency and humanity. But it's also for the very practical reason, Michael, that so long as there are reservoirs of this virus anywhere in mm. the world, it puts us all at dangers, in danger because we live in a global community. I mean, we saw at the beginning of this nightmare how this virus initially was the story in Wuhan in China. Then before we know it, it's in northern Italy. Then before we know it, it's in a, it's in a school in Glasnevin near my own home. And then for so many of us, the next thing, it's in your community, in your family and in your own family home in, in many, many cases. So the the, the way that we keep our, ourselves safe is to keep everybody safe. And we've made this point many times, as you know, in respect of an all-Ireland, all-Ireland approach uh, to managing uh, this crisis. Um, and the same holds true more more generally. I mean, the truth is that this vaccine needs to get everywhere. And, of course, um the, the initial the, the priority, of course, for the Irish authorities and for people like me in, in leadership here in Ireland has to be to ensure that our people have access to, to the vaccine, that it's done in a thoughtful uh, way. It, it will have to be done in an order of priority, but to make sure that, for example, carers um, who are carrying more than 50% of the caring burden mm. in this state um, and across the country, that they're not forgotten. So uh, it's all about supply, um, and therefore we we are reliant on the manufacturing side of things now when once the, the vaccines have the clearance that they require to really ramp up production. And then you have to have planning. And can I just emphasize the, the need for planning and for governments and for the state to be organized is so important. We saw around the school scenario Schools opening, not opening, leaving search, all of that confusion and messing, lack of advice, lack of proper contingency planning. That cannot be the way that we manage things. I mean, at a time when people's lives have been turned topsy-turvy and when people are under so much stress and being asked to make necessary, to take necessary but very tough medicine in that scenario, you need to have a government that is organized, that has its homework done, and that has planning and has planned and consulted. So I really hope that that will be the case, and certainly from Sinn Féin's perspective, we will be keeping pressure on to ensure that level of organization and planning is delivered so that when we have the supply um, as, as, as required, that we can very quickly get the vaccine out in a safe manner through the the vaccination centres and through GPs and pharmacists and so on, Mm -hmm. and actually not be sort of... had he last in, in 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 all of this? There's no reason why we should
2: be. All right. Well, let's hope so because we really are at a, a tipping point. Uh, before you leave us uh, this morning, Mary Lou McDonald, perhaps I, I could ask you uh, about uh, Justice Avon Murphy's report into the mother and baby homes, which will be published uh, this afternoon. What uh, is your expectation as we speak?
1: Well, well can I can I just um, say a word to a word of thought and solidarity and love to all of the women and children who came through the system of mother and baby homes, county homes, um, who endured forced separation, whose whose children were stolen, uh, in effect taken from them, for children who grew up in a scenario of stigma, of shame, but above all else, not having the the company, the relationship, the affection um, of of their mother and their, their wider families. I mean, This is a trauma beyond traumas. And I expect, Michael, that the report published today will reflect many of the things that many of us already know. And that is that there was a systematic violation of the most basic and profound human rights of those women, girls and their children. And that the damage done is immeasurable. Um, and that all of this happened, yes, with the connivance of the Catholic Church and other churches, the Protestant churches as well, but it happened on the watch of this state uh, and on the watch of successive governments. So the apology that's envisaged is, I think, very welcome, acknowledgement, recognition, recognition. Apology. All of these things are absolutely critical and crucial, as survivors will, will tell you. But so too is the manner of the redress. And, and by redress, yes, we're talking about social supports, health supports. We are talking about financial support. Um, but we're also talking about access to files, to records, to documents, to birth certificates. I mean, it's an astonishing thing that as we speak, Michael, today, state authorities still frustrate the efforts of survivors to actually access their own documents, their own records and files, including birth certificates. So for me, and I know for so many um, survivors, that piece of the redress will be absolutely crucial and a big test of the sincerity of the state. But uh, my thoughts are with all of the the women, um, their children, their wider families, because this trauma had intergenerational effect people have been hurt um, and really there is no sorry big enough um, for these for these women and children and for their families but it is so important that the state recognises its culpability uh, its liability in this and that the sorry is said and said sincerely I'm sorry there was a, a leak to one of the Sunday papers, I don't think that was a good start to the week um, but I just wish uh Everybody concerned, uh, strength uh, for what are going to be very, very difficult days ahead.
2: Indeed. Thank you very much indeed, as always, Thank for joining you, us this morning. That's the Sinn Féin President, Mary Lou MacDonald.
1: Michael
0: Reed on, on LMFM. FM. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times.